This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. The Delta variant now making up 83% of all sequence COVID-19 cases here in the U.S. New York City vaccine rate drops, though, as uh, COVID cases rise. France has seen a jump in vaccination. Apple pushing back its return to office deadlines. Tokyo still struggling uh, just before the Olympics. And we did also report a White House official and staff member for Nancy Pelosi both tested positive for COVID after attending the same reception last week. Uh, that coming uh, or confirmed to Axios. Back with us, uh, a voice that we've reached out to throughout the pandemic, Dr. Peter Alperin, who is vice president now at the publicly held Doximity. It's a professional network, medical network for physicians. He is with us on the phone in Austin, Texas. Uh, Dr. Alpern, good to check in with you once again. How do you see this Delta variant breakout and rise in COVID cases? Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Carol. Sure. Um, so yeah, the Delta variant is concerning and is obviously um, becoming the predominant uh, strain of, of COVID that people are catching. It's clearly more contagious. Um and is beginning to make up the vast majority of the cases that people are seeing. I should note that the the uh, the Delta variant um, outbreaks do seem to be much more prevalent, obviously, in people who are unvaccinated as opposed to vaccinated. So it does um, it is largely a, um, a a pandemic or epidemic among the unvaccinated population. Uh, but that still is a very significant number. So it's extremely concerning. Um, and people are uh, obviously paying very close attention. So help us out because we were all like, you know, we've been told, get the vaccine, you'll be okay, or you'll be in a much better position. Uh, And yet, at the same time, in talking to medical professionals like yourself, we are reminded that this is a much more contagious and more, um, you know, virulent virus. And so I guess I'm just trying to, how do we, I don't know, how do we figure out the risk-reward balance here as we increasingly get back to life? We do have a bit of a playbook here, and yet um, there's nervousness. We see it in the financial markets, certainly saw it yesterday. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think uh, all the basic things we know to be true remain true, which is that um, getting vaccinated helps prevent the disease. We have three extremely good options in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, as well as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So if you haven't been vaccinated and you are eligible and don't have a reason that you shouldn't take the vaccine, it still is absolutely the most important thing that you can do. Um, uh, in terms of the virulence, as you referred to it, it's really more contagious. What we've seen with the Delta, um, the Delta variant is it's much, much easier to catch. It's got a much higher contagiousness rate of the R naught that people would talk about in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does not seem to lead to more severe illnesses um, as compared to the regular strains or the original strains of the virus. Um, so, and then in terms of the vaccines that people have already received, uh, if you are vaccinated and are far, more than two weeks out from your second dose um, uh, or your first dose of the J&J vaccine, then you do, do appear to be greatly protected with mm-hmm. a very decreased risk of severe illness or hospitalization. So, uh, it, the, the last thing in terms of the other uh, sort of masking and those things, which is very much implied in your question, um, you know, if, if you are going into a very crowded space, it probably makes sense to, um, to you know, to, to be uh, err on the side of caution. So if you're at a concert or something that's extremely crowded, then wearing a mask is certainly not wrong. 
um, and uh, certainly can also afford some a bit of comfort to those people around you because you really obviously can't tell who's vaccinated and who isn't. And thanks for the clarification because you're right. It's more contagious. And I guess the fear is getting a variant that is more contagious as well as <laughs> just much more severe, right? That's the tricky point. Sure. So listen, one thing, since we've got about two and a half minutes left here, you, you guys are at the forefront when it comes to telehealth medicine. How does that stay with us? Um, so, you know, telehealth is something that is continuing to um, be, uh, to stay as a very important part of the way that um, physicians and other healthcare professionals are treating their patients. And I think, you know, this latest outbreak of the Delta variant um, is something that just sort of is reinforcing that. I think both from the professional side on the side of doctors, they're aware that they're able to see more patients um, or uh, deliver care to patients who they otherwise wouldn't be able to see through the use of telehealth. Uh, and then on the flip side, if you're a patient, um, knowing that you can communicate with your physician and not have to go to a hospital or go to a clinic where that you might see people, and maybe you are someone who is unable to be vaccinated because of an underlying medical condition. And so telehealth is clearly something that is playing an important role and will continue to play an important role and something that we see um, you know, being discussed um, um, quite often on the Doximity Network. What's the guidance in terms of Will doctors at some point say, well, that's a case where I need to see you in person. That's a case where I can see you, um, you know, via online or, you know, telehealth in a telehealth mm -hmm. method. And how is it that we as patients need to say, nope, this is something I need to go in for. This is something I can just quick get online with you about. And just got about yeah, 45 no, it's seconds. A great, it's a great question. Um, so I there's always going to be um, situations where you're not able to be fully evaluated um, via a telehealth visit. There are certain elements of the physical exam, for instance, which are just impossible to do um, via a video visit. Um, that said, I think it's a conversation between the patient and their, um, and their physician. Uh, if either side is not comfortable with the telehealth visit, then um, an in-person visit is absolutely the, the next step. Um, sometimes it's obvious, right? If you have a, a cut or something of that sort, yeah, you need to go yeah. to the emergency room, obviously. But for other things, it'll be just a combination of um, that conversation. If you as a patient are uncomfortable and want to be seen in person, then you should uh, emphasize that with your physician. All right. Great stuff to, and a great point to, to end on. Um, Peter, thank you so much. Dr. Peter Alperin, he is vice president at uh, the now publicly held Doximity. They went public in June. They are a professional medical network for physicians. And Dr. Alperin joining us on the phone from Austin, Texas. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. It's one for the history books. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and three others landing safely after Blue Origin's first flight to space with passengers aboard a key milestone in the company's effort to make space tourism viable. After the flight, Bloomberg Technology anchor Emily Chang getting the first interview with Jeff Bezos. And they talked about a lot, including the long-term view. Check it out. What we're doing is we're building infrastructure. This is a road. We're building a road to space so that future generations can build the future. We live on this beautiful planet. It's the most beautiful planet in the solar system by far. And we have to keep it safe and protect it. And the way to do that is slowly over decades to move all heavy industry, all polluting industry out into space. That's what we're going to do so we can keep this planet the gym that it is. But to do that, we need reusable spacecraft. We need low-cost spacecraft. And to get that, we've got to practice. Got to start and that's here. what this tourism mission is about.
That's Jeff Bezos alongside his brother Mark speaking to our Emily Chang earlier, right after they landed, uh, after going into space. Emily, along with my co-host and Bloomberg Quick Take anchor Tim Stenovic, leading our coverage of the mission. It was incredible this morning. Both are in Van Horn, Texas, and join us now. So Emily and Tim, I got to say, I was glued to my phone watching the whole time. Uh, it took my breath away. Emily, you caught up with Bezos and his brother Mark. Uh, as I said, the first interview after they landed. What struck you about today? Carol, it was an absolutely surreal day. You know, we as journalists cover a lot of different kinds of stories, and this is definitely one that I will remember. I mean, watching the rocket take off, there was this moment where, you know, you look at it going up, and then suddenly you think, you realize again, oh my goodness, Jeff Bezos is on that rocket. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to him, being the first person to talk to him after he landed from the press, um, was an incredible moment. I mean, he was kind of at a loss for words. He said it was awe-inspiring and then couldn't quite find uh, the right words. He turned it over to his brother and said maybe he'd have to send a poet up to space so somebody could put into words um, more eloquently just describe that that feeling that he thinks everyone should experience. Well, and Tim, I'm going to bring you in in a minute. But Emily, this is something Jeff Bezos has been working on, you know, aspiring to do for, what, over 20 years. 20 years, perhaps longer. longer. I mean, his infatuation with space, his fascination with space goes back decades to when he was a child watching lunar landings uh, with his grandfather. And Blue Origin itself is 21 years old. I mean, people don't realize that he has been at this a long time. There have been delays. There have been design issues. There have been... um, prototypes exploding in midair and so uh, the company has had to tackle that along the way and him deciding to be the first uh, passenger going up to space was actually a huge show of faith in everything that they've been working on nobody here necessarily expected it they actually have two astronauts on staff that everyone thought would be the first people on the first crewed mission but then jeff bezos raised his hand and said no it's going to be me yeah, making a big statement by doing so, and then also bringing along the youngest and oldest astronaut ever, ultimately. Hey, Tim, come on in on this. How was this trip similar or different to Alan Shepard's historic trip into space some 60 years ago? Yeah, well, you have to remember that the rocket that carried Bezos and crew up into space is named New Shepard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a nod to Alan Shepard's historic flight. And he mentioned it after the press conference and, and said that the launch profile was very similar. And indeed it was. Uh, but the similarities kind of end there because this rocket from Blue Origin fully automated the experience from launch to touchdown fully automated obviously not that's not what happened uh, with uh, with the mercury and with alan shepherd in addition to that um, the idea of it being reusable this was the the third uh, flight for this stack that means that it had been uh, the combination had been flown two times previously and and that's not something that was able to be done until just a few years ago in addition to that the capsule is much larger those huge windows that blue origin loves to talk about take up a third of the entire capsule And then again, this is a vacation. This is an experience. This is meant to appeal to people who are tourists, right? If we think back to what happened 60 years ago, we were locked in a dead heat with the Soviet Union and the space race. And in fact, many would argue that the Soviet Union um, had gone further than we had in a short time. The whole idea that it was autonomous also just kind of blew my mind. My dad having done a lot of things in the space, but you always had a pilot and then you had a backup pilot. Emily, I wonder if we did it injustice in terms of the media initially saying, you know, it's kind of the billionaire battle for space. It's much more than just a billionaire, Emily, going into space. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Jeff Bezos, of course, uh, you know, space tourism is just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. here. And he did say today that they've made almost $100 million with people buying tickets on the next two flights. But the real goal is to build that road to space, that infrastructure that will allow other entrepreneurs, other businesses, other people who don't have as much money as Jeff Bezos uh, to do great things in space. He believes that Earth is the best place to live. This is not about getting to Mars. All other planets, he says, are inhospitable. Uh, We need to uh, create the space economy to protect Earth, to tap the energy resources from the sun or uh, water from the moon. And, you know, what was interesting in the press conference, you know, somebody asked, are you going to do it again? And he said, hell yeah. <laughs> and then we actually went out to the landing pad. We saw the booster where it landed on the landing pad. It's and uh, they, they came out again. And I said, it looks like it's ready to go back up. I mean, the point is it's reusable. Are you ready for this uh, again soon? And when? He said, yes, tomorrow. Um, so, yeah. you know, He's he was he's incredibly excited and right. you know it's it's there is something poetic about this. Yeah. Yes, he's being criticized. Um, yes, not everyone understands why he's investing in space. Right. And his answer is it's it's not about not caring about Earth. I care about Earth. This is this right. is to help Earth to uh, ve- in the future. Very specific perspective, and I love it. Wally Funk, I'm assuming, would also say I would go, and I'm guessing Tim and Emily might also be willing to go. Uh, just we'll just ignore the quarter of a million dollars to get there. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk the music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. So just about 10 and a half minutes left in today's trading session. Charlie, of course, breaking down the trade here. And we have seen stocks up across the board throughout the day and holding near uh, their best levels of the day. So let's get to it. Let's bring in Dana Dioria, co-chief investment officer of the publicly held InvestNet PMC on the phone in Pennsylvania. Uh, hey, Dana, good to have you back with us. You guys um, are all about providing support for financial advisors. You provide them tools. Tell us a little bit about what you are hearing from some of your clients. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, you're absolutely right. We provide tools to retail advisors. And certainly in this space, there's a lot of question around where should we be diversifying? How do we manage the fact that yields are so low? Um, You know, fixed income right now, if I have a 60-40, which is just the standard uh, model for a lot of clients, you know, 40% of it is going into something that's really low yielding and, um, you know, potentially negative real returns. So I think um, a lot of discussion on our ends around, you know, alternative investments and other places to diversify. So when you are looking at alternative investments, like what really pops out for you right now? Well, certainly I think um, there's questions about there's a couple different things, right? Hedge funds for diversification, certainly last year with covid Um, there was kind of a resurgence of interest in hedge funds because they did perform well uh, amidst the volatility. You know, and from the perspective of what we hear from clients, that was a bit of a reversal because we had been in a bull market for so long that anything that didn't have high beta was, you know, not necessarily of that much interest. So resurgence there for the diversification, um, you know, the ability to not have as much volatility. And then, you know, private markets, right, private credit, private real estate, 
um, you know, private equity to just get a little bit higher return, a little bit higher yield. What do you make of, okay, a little bit of correction or, or selling yesterday. We bounced back today. The bond market, while we've seen some firming when it comes to the yield on the 10-year, certainly off the lows that we saw yesterday, nonetheless, still very low. So what story are equities telling you? What story is the bond market or treasuries telling you? And are they the same stories? It's, it's such a great question. It's definitely something that I think asset managers in general are wrestling with and, and wealth managers the like, because, of course, you are seeing such strong equity markets. I mean, notwithstanding yesterday, and we have had some pullbacks, which make a lot of sense, right? When you when you think about the Delta uh, variant and COVID, right. you know, we're, we're going to have no spectators at the at the Olympics this year. So there, there's definitely some concern that, whoa, maybe we're not past this. So some pullbacks make sense, but all in all, equity markets have, have really been up, obviously, and, and done fantastically well, and earnings beating estimates and expectations that, that continues. So, um, And then you have just this, you know, the, the drop in the yields on the 10-year, which suggests that there is concern in the market about future real growth and, you know, maybe a policy error from the Fed. So definitely conflicting messages, obviously, that the market's trying to deal with. You know, I teased earlier that um, we're going to talk a little bit about ESG with you as well. And I think it's an interesting day where you have Jeff Bezos going into space, Blue Origin. Uh, it has certainly been one of our focal points today. Jeff Bezos is talking about space exploration is about how to improve things on Earth and taking care of Earth. Amazon, obviously, someone that makes a big carbon footprint or has its impact, right? Because we're, you know, moving a lot of stuff around. Um, but Jeff is making that point about, you know, we have to really protect Earth, that this is what it's all about. I mean, why wouldn't we want to in terms of what's here specifically? And it kind of feeds into that bigger, broader investment theme of ESG, which we know a lot of companies are talking about it. We just mentioned about BlackRock specifically when it comes to directors at companies, you know, the pressure that they're putting on companies to be more climate sensitive and proactive. Um, ESG it is still, there's so much gray area there uh, because the metrics aren't there to really measure it. How do you make us, or how should we be thinking about it? And how do investors be smart about it? It's, it's a great question. And you, you raised a lot of really important issues, right? So, so we'll hit like these universal owners, these big owners like BlackRock, State Street. Um, obviously, they're using their muscle to get better engagement from the companies that they're invested in. These are universal owners. You know, if there's a problem mm-hmm. that comes from a transition, right, whether it's a physical uh, risk of, of climate change or just transition risk, they know they're going to get hit, right, because they own across the board. So there's no, like, finding, you know, a shelter from that. So they're very much in tune to this. And the fact that they are, I think it gives information content about where maybe the rest of us should be thinking in terms of whether there is systematic unpriced risk on this. And I think certainly when you drill down into different industries and different stocks within those industries, there are very, very much varying postures on how they're handling this transition to a low carbon economy. So if you're a stock picker, that's where you're kind of focused, right? So moving away from the systematic and saying, hey, look, there's there's risk here and there's also opportunity. And what we're seeing in the asset manager space now is the effort to integrate ESG into fundamental analysis, into looking at what should I look at for multiples on this stock? What should I look at in terms of the discount rate? Um, you know, and, and it crosses, obviously, into the S&G as well in terms of 
you know, how I'm treating my workers and, um, you know, the, my governance policies and how does that impact? Now, you could argue a lot of this is just fundamental analysis mm. uh, that should always be taking place. But I think we're getting to your point, data sources. They're not matching. They're not necessarily no. comparable or audited. Right. But it's, it's, it's data that we didn't used to have. It's data on that we didn't used to have. And I think that's going to increase. I think that's going to make for better asset management over time. Well, and if SEC Chair Gary Gensler has his way, right, he's talked about a climate disclosure rule. uh, And so we've talked about this with the CFO of Cisco specifically about the need for, you know, true disclosure and make it the responsibility of a regulatory body like the SEC so that investors really know what they're investing in. So that when they are committing money, uh, if what they want to support is true ESG, that money is going to their commitments. Yes, I think that's going to be key because what you have now, too, is even in the asset management industry, just such differences in what folks mean when they say, well, this is an ESG fund, right? And and what do we mean by that? So you absolutely need um, better disclosures on these things, better, you know, obviously, Gensler's talked about, like, is this an AIMS rule issue where right. obviously, you know, you're held to much higher uh, standards if, if it is. Or is this, you know, more just something that you work out, um, into, you know, kind of through the disclosures that the asset managers make? Hey, Dana, one thing I want to ask you. Uh, so yesterday, the reopening trade was not in fashion. Today, it's back in fashion. So what, <laughs> what do you advise your clients or what do you advise investors to do at this point? Do you buy airlines? Do you not? Do you buy hotel companies? Do you not? Do you buy cruise companies? Yeah. Do you not? How do you play it? So uh, InvestNet's Yodley unit gets data on spending. Um, Mm -hmm. So it gets very early data that kind of is nice signaling for us ahead of time. And, you know, certainly there has the indoor reopening trade has not looked as good or spend, I should say, um, has not looked nearly as good as the outdoor. Um, You know, so uh, that's something to kind of take into account. Hmm. But I I would say at a higher level, um, broad diversification is kind of the antidote, right? I mean, you just it's it's timing this and and the level of volatility of going back and forth between cyclicals, you know, uh, sectors that are sensitive to the economy and and to reopening and those that are not is just for the retail client. um, You know, what you need to do is diversify across these different areas. All right. We got to run. Hey, Dana, thanks so much. Really appreciate your perspective. Dana Dioria, she's co-chief investment officer at Investnet PMC on the phone from Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.